So as I mentioned um, on my review of Season 1 and Season 2, by the way, Season 1, I reviewed it also in my podcast. It's Episode 21 of my podcast. Season 2, I reviewed it um, on Episode 26. This is Episode 31, so this is obviously Season 3 of La Casa de Papel. Anyway, I'm putting in some links also on the description page. So you can easily see my reviews of um, actually all the seasons of La Casa de Papel. Um, just a quick recap, of course, in the first heist, they succeeded with, uh, you know, they paid the price. Uh, Moscow died. That's the father of Denver. Berlin also died. The leader of their, the leader of the heist inside the, inside the bank. So, um, and before we actually start formally our review season three spoiler alert for everything that happened in season three and also everything that happened in season one and two so spoiler alert just be careful with that so anyway <clears throat> excuse me over two years after the heist arturo gives a talk in a large crowd sort of like a ted talk um, Arturo is condemning the fugitive members of the gang who held him and others hostage at the Mint. Um, they, Arturo labeled them as terrorists. By the way, Arturo looks different. I think he lost some weight. He looks great. Actually, um, there was an interesting scene when he said something like, um, my poor child, uh, which is his son and Monica's son. Um, Monica is of course, of course her former secretary, her former mistress, uh, a woman she impregnated. So he said that my poor son is somewhere in in a third world country. And that's true, but um, they cut to a scene where in Denver and Monica are just having fun. They are riding what looks like a cycling car in a wet market in Indonesia as it is revealed later. They are just laughing and enjoying lives as a family and also as you know multi-millionaires and then meanwhile tokyo and rio have relocated to uh gunayala panama nairobi and helsinki to la pampa argentina and denver and monica and her baby are in java indonesia professor and raquel is still in the philippines in my country, no less, with Raquel's mom and daughter. Um, a lot of people were looking for an epilogue at the end of season two for all the characters. Um, the professor and Raquel are, of course, um, they have their um, happily ever after in Palawan, Philippines at the end of season two. This is the epilogue you are looking for. You know, now you know what happened to Tokyo and Rio, um, to everyone, Nairobi, Helsinki, Monica, Denver even Arturo, now we know what happened to them. But as you know, friends and folks, things move fast in the world of La Casa de Papel. So wanting a change in scenery, Tokyo actually leaves Rio in Gunayala for the city. She broke up with Rio. She left him. And as she, leave, as she leaves, uh, Rio gives her one of two phones so that they can still communicate. Phones which Rio bought from a black market in Casablanca from a Libyan uh, claiming to be unregistered. 
um, they said something like, "Oh, let's, uh, I'll, I'll call, we'll com- communicate with each other every six o'clock. If we want to talk, then we'll talk. If you don't feel like picking up the phone, then don't." And so you know, we see scenes of Rio. She's sort of you know back to the Rio. I mean, we see scenes of Tokyo. Uh, she's back to being like the party girl, hanging out with friends you don't even know. And, you know, every 6 o'clock, sometimes she looks at her phone and sometimes she doesn't and she just, you know. But Rio is, of course, very consistent. She's been calling her every day. And then three days later, three days later, the two use the phones. And so Tokyo finally answers the phone. And then the signal is immediately directed by, or it's immediately detected by the Europol. And the... Panamanian police trap and you know the the Panama police they are given their instructions and they were able to arrest Rio but Tokyo escapes so this is actually a tense scene um and deep inside actually you don't want them to be caught that's how you feel as the viewer because of course we're all fans of the show Rio tried to use his sort of um missile launcher when the navy uh who are like there was three boats coming they were all gonna come into his island and uh he was about to use the missile launcher and he didn't do it he couldn't put himself to to hit that trigger and and blow those people off right however tokyo tokyo actually escaped in the local um in a crowded local village uh she made the wise decision by hanging her phone in a cat or a dog or something and of course that that was able to divert the attention of the police officers into chasing that that animal instead of chasing her um after that she calls the professor using a secure line and she is transported to thailand where they meet uh tokyo gave actually the best line in tv uh during this scene this is this is just my opinion but actually i haven't watched a lot of tv in 2019 but i did watch the big one i watched game of thrones which has always actually delivered the best line on TV in the fa- in the past few years, such as Winter is Coming or La- The Lannisters Always Pay Their Debt, The Lannisters Send Their Regards, Valar Morghulis, which means all men must, go- must die, on and on. But for 2019, the best line is... Uh, the best line for 2019 is something like re-delivered the line it's a great line um something like in paradise or paradise always ends the same way somebody always bites uh the apple eventually something like that it was a great that line i really love that line and uh it really it 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 really sort of introduces the theme of the season that, you know, sadly, all good good things always come to an end. In their case, it was two years of really living in 
um, third world tropical paradise, which is actually really great. I mean, I, I live in a third world and I have seen um, my f- fair share. And by the way, not a lot because I'm, I'm not a travel guy. I actually think I should travel more, but, you know, traveling is not really my thing. But even with my very limited travel, and just since I live in the Philippines, I have seen my, again, fair share of beautiful beaches. And that's, that's how it is here in, in, Southeast, in Southeast Asia. So th- these characters, they actually sort of for two years lived this life of just basically living, multi-millionaires living in a paradise island. And by the way, prices here in, in, in Southeast Asia, in the Philippines particularly, it's obviously cheaper than than in a first world country so that was their life but eventually again paradise and somebody bites the apple and and um paradise ends and that's what happened here meanwhile rio is actually tortured tortured really bad um in this episode he was hanged by his arms uh, using a chain and a bucket of water was thrown at him, you can only imagine the pain that he has in his wrist. Um, the professor, alongside Raquel, actually got the bank, got the gang together so they can rescue Rio. I actually love the scene when Tokyo and the professor met after two years, and the, when they met back with everyone, uh, with the entire gang, it felt. It felt warm, very warm for us, the viewers. It's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, meeting your friends in a reunion, which which actually I had quite recently because one of my best friends actually got married. So that's when you realize how emotionally attached you are with these characters. The professor enlists three new members into the gang. Uh, named Bogota, Palermo, and Marseille. And of course, they are planning an assault at the Bank of Spain. This time, they are not going for cash. This time, they are going for gold. I actually like the ending of episode 1. It um, that The last scene, there was a blimp that flew over the city of madrid sort of sort of at the city skyline of madrid crowds of people look up it is daytime so it's you know very um you can clearly see it the blimp is also color white and there is of course the picture of salvador dali in the blimp and then the blimp made it rain actually it rained money all over the city of madrid people very excited people were you know picking up money uh, it was revealed later on that like 140 million was was rained all over Madrid uh, at that day. And this is the message of the gang to tell the world uh, that we are back. We're back. That is, that is the ending of episode 1. And now we go to season 3, episode 2. By the way, before we continue... I was supposed to start this podcast with something like, Hello everyone, Bella Chow, Bella Chow, Bella Chow, or do you folks prefer Boom Boom Chow? Something like that. But of course, I per- forgot to say that during the intro. So yeah, I mentioned it right here, right now. 
So now we go to episode 2 of season 3. In episode 2, the professor initiates the plan to rob the bank um, using airships to again release money across Madrid. And um, I think, I don't remember actually if it's episode 1 or episode 2, but it's that scene wherein the professor uh, spoke at those giant um, screens that you see on, on cities, on business districts. And he started by by wearing the Salvador Dali mask, and then he removed it. He said something like, we're not hiding anymore. And then he told everyone, the entire world actually, that that one of them has been caught. You know, of course, that's Rio. And like... Um, it's not reported on the media. Um, they said something like, "He's not gonna have a fair trial. He is somewhere in 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 some country, and he is probably getting tortured." So that that was the way. That was the professor's way of uh, getting the attention of of the me- the media and the government. And so the government responds by mobilizing the army, which the robbers used to provide cover and entry into the bank. Tokyo mentions through narration that because of the success of the first heist, they now have the money and resources to improve on the second heist. And in in the scene they have, you know, military vehicles and uniforms and guns. Um, they have ar- armored cars. They were able to post themselves as military and um, they also have the cool scene where a uh, professor was getting ready in the control center. And then right behind him, uh, we see Raquel, who is now, of course, the wife of the professor. She even tied her hair with, with that classic, you know, Raquel with the, I think it's a pencil or maybe a stick. It's probably a pencil. But, you know, now the professor is working with Raquel and they are in this sort of control center of the heist. In flashbacks, the professor recruits Martin, who is an experienced thief and former associate of Berlin. And of course, Martin will be replaced by Berlin. Martin is, of course, codenamed Palermo. The professor and Palermo, that scene was interesting because actually Palermo vented out his feelings about the professor um, he basically said, you're a coward who is outside while every one of your men is in the bank uh, putting their lives on the line. He is also very much anguished with the death of Berlin. The professor should have done everything not to not let Berlin die, according to Palermo. And I... Um, at the time I'm preparing for this episode, I actually haven't watched season four, but this doubt and anger towards the professor, it might lead to something horrible when the true color of Palermo shows out, uh, especially in a high pressure pressure situation. And that hasn't happened yet, but, you know, I'm really scared because obviously here, Palermo is doubting the, the leadership of the professor. So Palermo explained that the strategy for this robbery is based on Aikido. So that's also actually sort of the episode title for this um, 
for this um, episode two. I'm not focusing that much on episode titles, by the way, because some of those titles don't really match what happened to the episode. I understand that I think the actual show itself and Netflix may have cut the show differently. So La Casa de Papel in Spain is cut differently than how Netflix cuts its show. So I don't know if if why some of the titles, um, especially I'm watching obviously the Netflix version, the titles don't really match what happened during the, um, the episode itself. But, you know, here in the scene, Palermo explains that the robbery is based on Aikido, um, a martial arts that uses the enemy's force to create an advantage. So, I'm not a martial artist. I haven't practiced Aikido ever. I have some friends who, you know, do Aikido. And yeah, it's about it's about um, using the enemy's strength to your advantage. Uh, my friends who are into Aikido even showed me there's this video of, of an Aikido master. He, <laughs> The master looks like a very thin you know 90 year old old man and then he fights like 200 pound guys who are obviously bigger taller than him and then the man is obvious is the, the aikido master was able to flip those those men you know into the ground like you know based on the aikido techniques so that's sort of the principle that they are going in here use the strength of your enemy in this case the government and the military army and use that to your advantage. So as the robbers enter the bank, public sentiment rallies to their side in the form of uh, massive government protests and riots over illegal imprisonment of Rio demanding that he actually receives a public trial. I think it's also in this episode where the professor showed their Salvador Dali image it's ha- it has been used all over the world as a symbol of resistance against the government and corruption. So in the first heist, all the, the gang, all the gang wanted, all they wanted was to get through the operation and get out with the money and of course escape. But now they have this new thing. They have this public image, this quote-unquote Robin Hood image that they want to maintain. And it's an something like an unintended consequence from the success of this first heist and this could be something that you know this is not a spoiler again I haven't seen the episode i haven't seen season four but this could be a downfall for them in the future and i'm actually scared it happened it hasn't happened yet but again it might in season four you know um their public public image the robin hood image might be used against them by you know the government and and so we go to episode three in episode three now they have taken hold of the bank of spain i think the last episode ended with um with those awesome explosion scenes outside the bank um now they are in the bank with the new batch of hostages it's starting to feel like a recycle of the first size. And actually, I have read the re- headline of a review of this season before. Um, the review basically said it's more of the same. And, you know, it's actually kind of starting to feel like it. But let's see, you know, um, as the season progresses, let's see if it's really more of the same. 
An important person they need to take hostage is actually the governor, the governor or the governor general of the Bank of Spain, who, despite explosions and terror attacks below in the building, the governor is actually still in his office with five bodyguards and one maid. Um, so Tokyo and Nairobi, who are posing themselves as soldiers at this point, tried to negotiate and fool the governor actually that they need to escort him to a safer place. The governor actually refused to move. And so Tokyo stated in a voiceover that there is five of them. Me and Nairobi can neutralize two each but the one guy, the fifth guy, the fifth wheel, is obviously a numbers advantage for for the governor's side. So Tokyo actually, so actually it was it was a cool scene. The governor invited Nairobi and Tokyo into like a conversation. I think he even offered them coffee, and then Tokyo asked for permission to go to the to the bathroom in the office or the washroom in the office. Um, she flooded the place with the faucet sink and of course the flooding extended from the washroom even outside to the governor's office and then the main bodyguard, the bald guy who's going to be actually a pretty important um, supporting character in this season so the, the main bodyguard knocked on the door it was revealed that Tokyo was... Uh, using the flooding as a way for her to see the reflections of the guards outside, which is a brilliant scene. I don't see that a lot, actually, even in, in Hollywood movies. And then, of course, so she kicked the door, knocking down the guard and quickly neutralizing the four other guards by pointing guns at them, you know, two hands. So both Nairobi and um, Tokyo's hands have guns, so they're able to point... Um, two guns into two guards and then so it's now it's just a two and two situation the maid is you know and I, I'd say a middle aged or an older lady she is shaking she's not gonna she's not gonna be a hero who's, you know she's not a secret she's not a, <laughs> a closet secret agent who can knock down Nairobi and Tokyo so they eventually got hold of the governor and then eventually, the robbers and the guards engage in a standoff. Members of the gang are in an elevated area. So it was, it was actually a pretty long scene. It started from inside the governor's office into, into the hallway. The, the guards are still following them. It was revealed that the bald main guard was, um, was still conscious. Um, and then they went into an elevator and then again eventually it leads to a scene wherein the members of the gang are in an elevated area while the guards are below which is in war from the little i know about military operations if you are in in a lower area the people on the elevated area are all are in an advantage and so the the gang is in an advantage and then so of course they had a shootout i don't think any of the guards were hurt and any of the important uh, main characters were uh, died uh, not even the guards i don't think anyone of them died but 
Palermo is temporarily blinded in the struggle uh, but retains command after Nairobi removes the glass uh, sharpnel from his eyes. And the guards, um, including the bald guy who is, again, the sort of main guard of the governor, they are, they were all restrained. By the way, the thing that happened to, to Palermo's eyes, it's not really realistic. Um, this is a, the type of thing people would not know, and I hope they don't know. The only reason I know this because I actually experienced a metallic rod hit my eye as a kid. I was 14 or maybe 15 at the time. It was the most pain I have ever experienced even to this day. And I would like even I don't have a lot of enemies. I'm a pretty nice guy. But even on my enemies, I wouldn't wish that to experience that pain. Um, after two operations, my vision is still very blurred. It's like a jealousy window. Um, even up to this day, that is my vision. So yeah, that that's a window to my past. And that's why I wouldn't wish people know about this thing because that means they experience it. Or someone, uh, someone they know experience it. And so if shrapnel of, or you know, shards of glass hit the eyes of Palermo, She's she's gonna go. He's gonna go blind. Like I, I was definitely blind. Uh, all I can see was black, and um, I can see light when we pass by light. And to retain the blurred vision that I had again was two. I needed two operations. So that's what's gonna happen in real life. But of course, here um, in this world, they removed Nairobi removed the 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 glass from 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 um, Palermo's eyes and I think it was revealed that he has blurred visions but he's eventually going to heal so anyway going back um, to the review there was a cool scene they were asking volunteers from the hostages to work for them but the robbers actually locate accomplices um, accomplices among the hostages who were uh, people they previously planted in the bank and go to work on opening the vault. I actually do not know what is the value of that scene for them. Maybe they wanted to paint the narrative that the hostages were so convinced with their message that they started to work for them in the same way that Monica... Uh, who works for the bank, who has a very different life. And of course, Raquel also, I mean, the main investigator on the first heist. Both these people turned their life around, turned into a life of crime to join the gang just because they now sort of understand the principles of of their heist. That it's, of course, it's about living, living the life, becoming multimillionaires. But it's also, in the, um, in my own values, in the twisted mind of the professor, it's a protest against the government. You know, the the robbery was a f form of protest. So, this is again a consequence of the first heist. Now they have to think about their public image in addition to actually succeeding in the heist. So the Bank of Spain vault is rigged to be flood 
with water once it is tampered with. Bogota uses his expertise in diving and welding to overcome the lockdown, granting access to the gold. In flashbacks, Berlin and Palermo explain the plan to the professor for uh, breaking into the vault, explaining that every step of the plan requires 100% commitment and perfection to work, and it actually leaves um, no room for error. And um, we go now to Season 3, Episode 4. Not a lot of big things actually happened in this episode. This is the episode... This is definitely the weakest episode in in the in the series or in season three. This is the episode where Denver shoots the hostage, the the big guy who has glasses. Uh, he shoots the hostage wearing a who was wearing a uh, bu- bullet bulletproof vest, and he also hits the governor in anger, which triggers a seizure that they have to resuscitate the governor. Um, Something crucial in this episode is the robbers reveal that they know about a second secret vault behind the gold and attempt to persuade the governor of the bank to open it for them. So that's actually something I didn't understand while watching the show. Um, Since they need the governor to open the vault, they just blew it up instead. So I think this episode ended with the with an actual explosion, um, them exploding the vault. And because at the time, obviously, I don't know yet what's the what's the relevance really of this of the secret vault, the second vault. So obviously, the main vault is the gold vault. And so this secret vault, as it turns out in the upcoming episode, it's going to be really important. And so now we go to season three, episode five. Um, given no other options, again, the robbers detonate the inner vault door inside the flooded main chamber. It works and of course it grants them access to the red boxes, which are cases filled uh, or cases that are full of uh, government secrets that were too dangerous to lock anywhere else. Um, something revealed in the last episode, Tamayo style, which is which actually differs from Raquel's um, negotiation style during the first heist, is he doesn't really listen much to the hostage takers, doesn't really listen much to the, to the professor, which is contrary to the hostage negotiation manuals, which, by the way, the professor and Raquel has. Um, they have a copy of it. He began assault, taking the robbers and the professor by surprise, uh, but this is not really a surprise given the success of the first heist. You know, the success of the first heist in this world. The authorities in this in in the, in this episode, um, led by Tamayo, they are willing to go outside the box and they realize how smart the professor is. And so they're not really that that much willing to bend to bend the will and follow just everything the professor says because it's going to end up once again similar to what happened to the first heist so they're you know tamayo is willing to bend things a little bit and to stall for time and prevent bloodshed denver runs into the line of fire with the truce flag carrying two of the red cases or the red boxes which forces tamayo to stop he reveals he reveals to Sierra um, 
the contents of the cases and that the professor has the advantage, an attack might force the robbers to make the uh, red boxes, the secrets in their public. So this was a great scene. It started when they had hostages um, who are all wearing the, the Salvador Dali mask, of course. The hostages went out into the balcony and so the police get ready you know they, they're ready to shoot anyone who shows signs that they are a terrorist the professor in the control room is very nervous he professor keeps saying you know what's he doing what's he doing which means this is actually out of the book and not one of his plans and as you know the professor likes to stay with the plan he doesn't doesn't want to go off book or outside of the box at all you know the, the professor is a very meticulous follow the rules kind of guy and so when denver came out with the red boxes the reaction of tamayo says it all i think he said something like uh damn it we need to hold back um the professor and raquel celebrate on a beach nearby somehow their control room is a van that they can move anywhere this is actually an improvement on the professor's control room or control center in the last heist which is planted in one location, which is very dangerous for them. Now they have this mobile control center, which is a van or an RV. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's, you know, it's something like that. Um, this is also the episode where they had the famous or infamous Boom Boom Chow scene. Um, Berlin, Berlin actually argues, or not Berlin, but Palermo argues that the sexual release is a necessity for men but it actually doesn't uh, matter who their partner is and for for palermo men just do it and go it's they they just release and go boom boom chow in her words the women argued uh with him that women can give incredible uh, pleasure during sex uh, women can do it multiple times and then the scene ends there. Um, great way to present both sides of the case. A love interest uh, between Palermo and Helsinki is revealed. I think it is also revealed in this episode that Palermo is more of a, obviously a boom boom chow guy, casual sex. And Helsinki is a, a lover, somebody who would uh, cuddle with somebody he made love with for 12 hours, something like that. A teddy bear in the words of Nairobi. Again, these are small scenes, um, not really related to the main story, but it gives depth to the characters. This is also the episode where they properly introduced Alicia Sierra to us. And to start, it's so interesting to me that they chose a pregnant woman as the villain. I actually haven't seen that before. I mean, I consume... A lot of types of fiction all over the world actually i consume movies tv shows novels i even consume pro wrestling i'm actually quite a you know not really a, a very big but i'm quite a big pro wrestling fan even up to this day i still follow i don't watch a lot of wrestling but i follow the news about wrestling so after all those fiction i consumed throughout the years i actually have never seen a pregnant woman as a villain and she is also she also has a great personality she is a lively and energetic boss who gets 
who gets everyone going on. He gets the investigation and this operation going on. I actually love her entry. There is... Um, so after the boxes were revealed, there's this high-powered government officials having a meeting. So like generals and you know government ministers, um, they're talking about what's the secrets in the box and what's the consequences of the secrets. And they were talking to Tamayo. And then Alicia Shera comes in and takes over. She's wearing a hat. She's wearing a hat. She's like, or a, or, or a baseball cap actually. She's wearing a baseball cap. She's wearing her, obviously, maternity attire. And uh, she just laid out her instructions, including her, the, you know, she needs seats and candies because she needs to control her, her hormones so that she can talk to the professor well. Like, I love that scene because it shows she's the real boss and she's the real villain. I actually, I love her. I think she's the like the best new villain on TV. And her most dangerous quality is a psychological um, manipulation. He called the professor and Raquel. Um, by the way, Raquel is now codenamed Lisbon. Um, and they just, he, like Alicia Shera just played them. She basically said that um, since you are terrorists, Police are now hunting Raquel's daughter and mother. Her mother would likely be in a third-world country jail cell, all confused with her dementia. And her daughter would be crying every night in an orphanage in Jakarta, just you know, painting that horrible image to 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 Lisbon or Raquel. And unless Raquel gives up the professor, um, Alicia will actually not touch. The, her child and her mother if she gives up the professor and so that's a really awesome villain scene right there i mean after this scene raquel actually removed the tie from her hair um she removed this the pencil from her hair which is symbolic i think tying her hair is like work mode for raquel but untying her hair is family mode and now she since she untied her hair in front of the professor, she's now thinking more about her family and her mother, or her child and her mother. Uh, she's thinking about them more now, more than the professor and more than the heist. Inside the bank, the team was divided when Nairobi and Palermo disagree over the use of force on the unruly uh, restrained guards. Palermo literally beats the main guard of the governor with his cane. Um, he is not able to see him clearly. So when he was like hitting him with a cane, he's actually hitting the guy beside him as well, which is like a horrible scene. Some the 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 hostages were reacting, and some I think some even cried. So that that bald guy, that that guard, that security guard of that security guard of the governor he is actually one of the villains in the show but he is of course a no-nonsense tough guy a bodyguard who would have been a main character in any other show but this is of course la casa de papel and the main characters are the robbers and so 
that guy could have been Bruce Willis and any others if you reverse the story and make the good guys the actual heroes. He could have been the, the main sort of character, but of course he is not. Nairobi reveals her love for Helsinki and actually berates Palermo for not acting on his feel- feelings for Berlin when he was alive. This is again talking about the past and relationships of the characters. It's not really related that much to the main plot. Um, some viewers don't like this, but some viewers actually like it. Um, it's a great way to build depth and develop the characters. You feel like you know them well. This is not something that a lot of shows do. This is definitely something not that you know many North American shows do. Uh, the example that I always like to give are those, you know, police shows, those cop shows and crime shows, um, like the CSIs, the NCIS, the, you know, um, what else? You know what it is, those police shows and crime shows on, on especially in North America, like, you may be watching these shows for years, for like, 10, 15 years, and you don't really know much about all the characters, especially the supporting characters. The main characters, they may they may explore him more, but as for the other characters, you really don't know them much. Unlike in the show, like, you know something about Palermo, you know the, the background of Nairobi, you know, you know how, you know, Rio and Tokyo, just Denver, Monica, like you have an insight on who they are in real life and not just, you know, not just this heist, heist, uh, this, you know, heist criminals. And again, that I think that's very important. It adds again depth to the characters and it makes the characters relatable to the viewers. And it's like you almost know them so well. You know what they think. You know what they'll do in certain certain situation. It, and it's almost like since the characters are so well made, you know, for the person who's who's writing these this show, you can almost just let let the characters go, and they they'll react in a way like put them in a situation, and you know you know how Nairobi will act. You know how Denver will act. You know how Tokyo will act. Um, even the viewers can imagine that. And that's the effect of building the characters so much that you almost know them as like real people. And now we go to season 6, episode 6. In, in flashbacks, the professor discusses the plan for the bank with Palermo, Berlin, and... Berlin's love interest, Tatiana, where he is immediately alarmed at how much she knows. So the professor is immediately alarmed at how much Tatiana already knows. Um, Berlin, of course, defends her, stating that he is in love. Um, But the professor, of course, vehemently disagrees, arguing that the first rule of the heist must be to forgo personal attachment so the professor is saying it's kind of like fight club the first rule of the heist is never talk about the heist and um so far the payoff 
before that Tatiana character hasn't happened yet in season 3. Will Tatiana come up again? Will she be related to one of you know the characters we already know? And so they haven't really paid that off and I don't know if they or they may not pay that off in season 4. You know, well, obviously, we'll find out. So, in the present, Sierra plans to neutralize the professor's blackmail leverage by releasing false information to the media. So, basically, they plan to release several false false leaks to the media. And so, when the media investigate, they find out it's not true, creating a sort of boy who cried wolf situation so when when the gang or when the professor releases the leaks that are actually true no one will believe them anymore because of the many leaks released by Alicia's Alicia Shera that were investigated and and um proven to be false and Tamayo agrees and organizes a second breach led by Suarez. The professor and Raquel, they have an argument and they lose the commun- communication with the team inside the bank. Um, just after learning this and having relied on mobile transportation and broadcasting, uh, Raquel and Professor, they actually became stuck when a tree breaks in their antenna and the wheels of their RV sink in the mud and they narrowly escape uh, detection but they were able to unstuck their van with the help of local far- farmers that they actually paid off. They then managed to inform the team of the breach 10 minutes before it happens who'd defeat, capture, unclothe, and humiliate the breaching team. Um, this is Suarez's team. Um, they tie them up. They, I think, remove their clothes. I don't think they were naked. Um, their their uh, underwear were, was, you know, remained. But they were asked by the gang to sing Bella Ciao. And of course, given no other option, Tamayo and Sierra release Rio in exchange for the breaching team plus 40 other hostages. And so now we go to the penultimate episode of season 3. For those of you who don't know, penultimate means the episode before the last episode. So of course, the final episode of season 3 is episode 8. So now we'll talk about episode 7. So in episode 7, Sierra, Alicia Sierra, prepares Rio for release at a military hospital. She bathed him, she combed his hair, she gave him a nice dress shirt. Every time Rio asks where they are going, Sierra says something like, we're going to school. Um, I assumed she is dressing him up to show the world a nice and healthy man who does not look like he was tortured for a month, I think. And they had an interesting exchange, actually, when Ryu said uh, to Sierra, your son would never love you. And Alicia Shera's face 
hardened. I thought she's gonna explode in anger for the first time. But then she actually smirked again. She smiled again and said, uh, basically told Rio, but you're gonna love me. You know, it's like, your son would never love you, but you're gonna love me. So that was her response. And again, I love small scenes like this, which shows the characters um, and their personality. Um, it shows here that Sierra is able to control her strong emotions and take hold of the situation. It's actually what she is good at. And she's the only one like this in the entire show. Um, she definitely has an advantage. Back in the first heist, we meet Raquel and of course Prieto. Prieto is the bald guy who was the investigator who was... Uh, in episode 1, I believe he was the one on, or in episode 2, he was the one on the dentist chair. And um, um, Angel and even Tamayo now, they, they, they get pretty, I mean, they get pretty emotional when talking to the hostage takers, when talking to the professor. But Alicia Shera here shows that she actually controls her emotions quite well. And that's very dangerous, obviously, for our heroes. And again, it shows definitely that she has the advantage. So at the exchange, when, um, so at the exchange when Rio will be exchanged with the with the team of Suarez plus forty hostages, they had that cheesy romantic comedy teen romance scene when Rio came came out of the car and. Tokyo was actually looking at the window and romantic music played on the background. That's actually a great scene. Rio is shocked by the massive crowds gathered in support of the robbery actually. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people were wearing red jumpsuits and you know the, the Salvador Dali masks. Um Rio even cheered the crowd. I was actually very scared though. Um Alicia Shera is the type of person who will execute Rio in front of the world but obviously that didn't happen it was an intense scene the exchange proceeds smoothly uh, although very intense you know Rio coming into the bank and the hostages 40 hostages plus plus the team of Suarez uh, came out it was a very happy scene uh, the gang is finally back together Rio and Tokyo is finally back together. They hug. During the reunion, the police and the government intelligence team listen in on their conversation. Um, having planted a listening device inside Rio before actually releasing him. In flashbacks, the professor instructs the team, preparing them to detect and remove these devices surgically from Rio. If the time comes, I think they even practiced on like a pig or a pig head or something like that. Um, Rio had that emotional scene of telling the professor how he was tortured. He told them that he was jailed in a cell so small that it was like a coffin, that it was basically a jail cell, only fit for one person. He was deprived of sleep. He had to pee and take number two in that cell and... He was only getting washed by uh, hosing, so the guards would hose him off. 
he even told the professor crying that if I knew where you were, I would have said, I would have said it. I would have, you know, ratted you out and tell them where you were. And the professor responded with a comforting, any one of us would have, you know, any one of us would, would reveal that information after getting tortured. And after speaking with Rio, the professor told um, him that he deserves a little vacation, which is a code that they made that means he is actually bugged that there is a listening device in his body. And now, obviously, Rio knows that. And the professor actually instructs Tokyo to act normal in spite of the listening device as he hopes to use their sexual intimacy to convince the police that the listening device is working. Tokyo initially refuses because the professor wants, basically wants them to have sex to prove to the police that their bug is working. However, and um, sadly, I mean, this is a great scene because everyone everyone expect uh, oh of course it's going to be a sex scene between Rio and Tokyo they uh, they are boyfriends and girlfriends and of course it's going to happen but you know what happened Rio actually breaked up with Tokyo said something like oh while i was in the jail cell i reflected and i don't think i'm the guy for you um i believe that you'll be better off with someone else and Tokyo is actually stunned Tokyo is stunned and um, it was just left there. That seems just left there. Uh, it went to a scene where Nairobi um, surgically removes the listening device from Rio, and the police manage. Um, this is also the 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 scene where the police manage to locate the professor and Raquel using a drone. They try. They tried to escape. Um, basically, what what they did was while their van is moving, they jumped out. Basically, um, Raquel jumped out first, and then, and then the professor jumped out next. And uh, it they were actually forced to separate and try to escape on foot. The professor camouflages himself in a tree. He said something like, this is a camouflage or a camouflage style of snipers. While Raquel, Raquel is unable and she has to take refuge in a barn. And finally, we reach the final episode of season three. Before we continue, by the way, again, please do support my podcast. The... Donate link for our PayPal is on the description page. Please, please, please do donate. Um, any amount, uh, would do right now. That would be a big help for us. Also, uh, you can give us a five star rating from any of your favorite uh, podcast platform. And so, in the final episode, Tokyo actually gets very drunk as a result of her breakup and insults. And um, so this is actually, she got very drunk. Um, It's her coping um, mechanism for the break of Rio. In the forest, a massive manhunt begins for the professor and Raquel. 
Raquel is discovered in the barn by a farmer and his wife, which begins a Mexican standoff and a negotiation between Raquel and the farmers. This was actually a brilliant scene um, showing how a trained police officer, a trained police officer who turned into a criminal like Raquel and how she would fare with two civilians if all of them have guns and it's a two-on-one situation against Raquel. Basically, <clears throat> Raquel... Sorry about that, my phone um, just uh, locked itself, uh, which is weird. By the way, so the scene is Raquel is pointing a gun at the, at the, at the man who is, I believe, named Justino. And of course, Justino is pointing a gun at her. And then behind her, uh, she doesn't know, the wife of, of the farmer pointed the gun at her back. And so Raquel... Raquel faces them both, you know, she's in the middle of them and puts her hands up with the two handguns still on his arms, right? So he puts his hands up and then he does a crazy step back and then points the two of her guns to the faces of the, of the farmer and her wife and his wife. And so that's how a trained police officer turned criminal with would work that situation and so the robbers create a diversion to make the police think that they are escaping to draw resources away from the manhunt um, using the bug that they removed from Rio they flooded it with different sounds like our running sounds and sounds of a boat a motorboat or sounds in a tunnel Sounds of them talking, sounds of them running, um, sounds of water. And um, in a flashback, the professor said something important that will be paid off later. He basically told them the sense of hearing can be, uh, it's the, the our sense that makes us most paranoid. I don't know the science behind this, but what I have read in an article before is listening stimulates our emotion while reading stimulates our mind. So maybe there's some truth truth to what the professor said that hearing something, you know, such as a thing on a, a phone or something like that, it can make us paranoid. So afterwards, Sierra plans to use Nairobi's son, whom she has lost custody as a result of using him as a mule, as, you know, as Sierra wants to use the sun as a pawn to psychologically destabilize Nairobi while the while the police prepare a full-on assault to the bank using an armored car. So Suarez and his men close in on Raquel's position as Raquel bargains with the farmer for her freedom by offering a reward greater than uh, what the government will offer. I think Raquel's offer was up to 20 million and um, the government's offer was 10, 10 million. By the way, this was another great plot point um, introduced in an earlier episode, which was not used by the negotiators in the previous heist. Um, Sierra knows that the robbers have money and obviously they can use that. So Sierra upped the ante for the government's rewards 
on anyone who can give a tip on the whereabouts of the robbers, especially the professor and Raquel who they know are they are outside, they are in public, they're obviously not inside the bank. And as it turns out, Nairobi actually used the, to deal drugs using his son um, in the past, and he used his son's blue teddy bear in the park. Uh, what Nairobi did was she would hide drugs in the teddy bear and, you know, deal drugs on the park while playing with her, her son. And that still haunts Nairobi to this day. And Shara, you know, bringing in the, the, the blue teddy bear, that all went back into Nairobi. Obviously, you know, obviously that's a psychological attack. And then finally, Shara brings out Nairobi's son. Axel in front of the bank and of course that lures Nairobi to a window Sierra gives the green light to a police officer who is a sniper and of course Nairobi is shot in the chest and as the robbers scramble to aid Nairobi the police begin the police begin the assault and of course uh, we can talk about morality about the show for hours Robbing a bank and taking hostages is wrong, but in the show, of course, the robber, the robbers are the main characters. They are anti-heroes. And how do you make viewers love anti-heroes? Well, one way to do that is to make the villain, who is supposed to be the good guy in an anti-hero story, or who is, you know, the the villain is the good guy. But the villain is an anti-hero story. So in the show, the police, um, they have to be really, really awful. So the, the police and the government officials, Sierra specifically, they have to be such an awful person that you would side with the criminals because the criminals are the main characters, right? So here, Sierra was willing to do something Raquel and Tamayo and Prieto and even Angel were not willing to do. Sierra was willing to execute Nairobi in front of her son, basically. And, of course, I presume the child didn't see it. Um, for the kid, he was just going for a walk with this pregnant lady who is probably mommy's friend. Um, many of us, some of us probably experienced that as a kid. But... You know, as the sniper bullet hits the chest of the child's real mom, Nairobi. Obviously, that's really horrible for all the Nairobi fans all over the world. But it was a great scene to really establish your villain. And really how heartless Sierra is. And in the forest, Suarez and the civil guards find Raquel and remove the farmers from the barn. The professor... Um, he was actually running he was shouting you know don't shoot Raquel I'm coming I'm coming tell them not to shoot you and then of course the professor hears gunshots over Raquel's microphone he actually he actually heard two gunshots and then it's Suarez probably or someone else said something like uh, tell them that he she started it that Raquel pulled out the gun something like that and it was in self defense, so obviously now the professor thinks that uh, Raquel has been executed, and so he becomes distraught, and you know he becomes full of grief and anger, and Palermo 
just so then he radios the professor to inform him of the un- incoming assault and of course Palermo also told the professor about about Nairobi and all these emotions just pile in and pile into the professor and of course he has to declare DEFCON 2 which means all out war and Tokyo and Rio rush into firing positions with the RPG-7s which are like the missile launchers and they actually destroy an armored car using the missile it was a great scene they you know the armored car exploded it was it was a very Hollywood scene you see that a lot in action movies in Hollywood uh, but if you're watching a TV which presumably doesn't have as high as a budget that than Hollywood movies then it's it's kind of shocking to see to see an explosion like that such as like a high budget Hollywood scene which in if you watch a Hollywood movie that's just one scene but if you're just watching a TV show and you know this is Netflix this is some people call it a streaming show but this is still a TV show for me you know that's shocking it's shocking to see such a high budget like an explosion scene like that and with Tokyo narrating that the professor had fallen in his own trap and um, Shera actually ordered Suarez to fake the execution of Raquel to elicit a drastic response and of course stating that the war had begun. Again, this shows how Sierra has the upper hand. This is what I was saying earlier. In addition to the heist, the gang is also now concerned about their public image which was not really their priority. It was just an unintended consequence uh, from the success of the first heist. But now it's something that they're thinking about and something that really affects them. And now their public image is presumably ruined after they blew up that armored car. And I presume, you know, the soldiers or the SWAT members of that car, the armored car, um, they haven't revealed yet how many of those people died, how many will have sort of second, third degree burns, and they will, of course, be treated as heroes, and our main characters will be, you know, treated as criminals, which is now their fear. They're going to be treated as the criminals like they really are, and not as the heroes or the Robin Hoods who are going against the government and the establishment. And so that concludes the ending of Season 3, Episode 8. But now we're going to go with my overall review and overall conclusions of the entire season. Um, as I said, I read a review about Season 3 before that. Uh, basically, it says that Season 3 is more of the same. In hindsight, it looks like that, but actually it's not. I would say that the first heist, so that Season 1 and 2 was more of, for me, 50% Hollywood-style action and 50% telenovela emotionality. This time, they upped the ante on the Hollywood style. It's now fully produced by Netflix. They have a higher budget. And the telenovela stuff is just 40%, so it's 60% Hollywood action, 40% or 60% Hollywood action slash North American TV thriller style, and then 40%, you know, telenovela stuff. Though they still, for me, they still explore the characters 
and the private lives of the characters more than any other show which again some people like this and some people don't like that um some people just want to get on with the main plot and um some enjoy the character stuff and they didn't focus much well what i can say about that is i think you'll know if you developed the characters well if you can remove the main plot of a story such as this a tv show you remove the main plot and just have the characters speak in a conversation like having dinner or having coffee and obviously we have scenes like that here we have the we have the boom boom chow and other scenes where they're not really talking about the heist they're just they're just eating and just having dinner having conversation with each other talking about family and that's still interesting and that's obviously the result of for me good character work um again if you remove like game of thrones did it very well uh too like for me if you remove the main plot of game of thrones like the sword fighting and the dragons and the the undead you know zombie-like creatures and you just have two characters talking in dinner or having wine which you know game of thrones they have a lot of wine the the, the scene is still interesting two characters talking at a dinner table at the sofa is still interesting and that for me is the mark of great character development and obviously they have that here in 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 la casa de papel um the consequence of that is again they might have scenes um they don't do entire entire episodes but they might have scenes that are not really directly related to the heist or to the main story just scenes of characters talking about themselves talking about their past talking about their love life and some of the traumas that they had and what happens is you get to know the characters much much well and that gets the viewers more emotionally invested in the character even if it bores or gets some viewers bored because they just want to go on with the plot and so that's obviously things that the show creator has to decide and they did a great job you know i believe they still did a great job that you have this heist thriller but you also have this many scenes wherein they explore the personal lives of the character and they sort of balance that out um this season they didn't focus much on the hostages except for a few characters like the guy and the girl with glasses and the governor, uh, the governor's bald security guard, uh, which are all characters that we are not really deeply invested in. Um, unlike last, during the last heist, we have the ambassador's daughter, we have Arturo and Monica, we have, you know, we just have more hostages that, that the audiences are more emotionally invested in. Um, the scenes outside the heist, the scenes outside the bank, the flashback scenes, um, the scenes with Raquel and the professor uh, in the in the control center and even escaping outside, and the scenes in the police, uh, in the sort of police headquarters that they created, headed with the best new villain in TV, Alicia Shera. Those are all very interesting. Heck, 
the scenes in the beaches before they went into the heist before you know the reunion scenes they were more interesting than the heist itself so now we're in this situation where in the heist the scenes outside the heist are more interesting than the heist itself the heist was just the base that holds the show but now the world around it is more interesting and um i mean la casa de papel money heist uh season three it's still a very good show um some people may think seasons one and two is better but the worst episodes of la casa de papel for me, it, it's still better than the episodes of many, many shows around the world. And that's the mark of a great TV shows. Because that's something I also said about Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad which is and Sopranos, which are all excellent shows. The worst, show, the worst episodes of, their, of those shows are still better than the, the best episodes of many, many shows around the world. And so... For La Casa de Papel, Season 3, Money High Season 3, Jay's ratings is 80%. Rotten Tomatoes actually rated it at 100%, which I... Eh, that's too much. Obviously, the show has some imperfections, but the critics rated it at 100%, so it's 100% for Rotten Tomatoes. The audience of Rotten Tomatoes is a little bit closer to my score. They gave it 86%. And IMDb, IMDb rates shows um, from 1 to 10. And they don't actually have a rating for season 3, but they have a rating for each episode. And so if you average out the seasons, the, or if you average out the episodes for season 3, the score average of IMDb is 8.5 out of 10. And so that's that's sort of like an 85%. I didn't expect that I was the one who's going to give like the low score here. I only gave them an 80%. Rotten Tomatoes gave it 100%. The fans, the audience of Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 86% and IMDb gave it an 8.5. And you know, I didn't expect that I was the strict professor here, you know. I've actually forgot already what was my rating for seasons 1 and 2. I probably gave it a 90. I felt like I gave it a 90. But for season 3, I'm going to give it an 80. And I'm actually looking forward to season 4. Well, full disclosure, um, I'm currently watching season 4. And, you know, I'm going to review it soon. I'm actually planning to sort of release it within within the week. You know, if you're listening to this recently, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to release season four very, very soon. So see you once again on the next episode.